Tuesday, the 27th of June, the Feast of St. Cyril of Alexandria. Let's pray a prayer written by him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hail, Mother of God, you enclosed under your heart the infinite God whom no space can contain. Through you, the most holy trinity is adored and glorified. The priceless cross is venerated throughout the universe. Through you, the heavens rejoice and the angels and archangels are filled with gladness. Through you, the demons are banished, and the tempter fell from heaven. Through you, the fallen race of humans is admitted to heaven. Hail, Mother of God, through you kings rule, and the only begotten Son of God has become a star of light to those who are sitting in darkness and the shadow of death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Cyril of Alexandria, pray for us. Great little prayer, by the way. We uh, posted that in the show notes for today, if you want to check those out at sunrisemorningshow.com. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We'll check in with Father Boniface Hicks from uh, St. Vincent Arch Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. More thoughts on personal prayer in the Mass. Marlon de la Torre joins us from the Diocese of Columbus. We'll talk to Marilyn Santos from the USCCB about a Eucharistic Revival music competition. And then much more on St. Cyril of Alexandria. Maybe not exactly a household name, but uh, he was kind of a big deal in the early church. And there's a lot of stuff from him that is well worth reflecting on some uh, millennium and a half later. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The Supreme Court is set to hand down key decisions this morning that could address student debt relief, affirmative action, and federal election laws. The court is entering its last week of the summer session, and 10 cases are still pending. It also includes a case over First Amendment rights versus LGBT interests out of Colorado, where a designer has argued a state law in Colorado that would require her to design websites for same-sex ceremonies would violate her conscience. Russian President Vladimir Putin says a march on Moscow by a group of mercenary soldiers was, quote, criminal activity. Trey Thomas has more. Speaking through an interpreter, Putin said there will be consequences. The organizers of this rebellion, this cannot but understand that they will be brought to justice. He addressed Russia Monday, just days after the head of the Wagner Group turned his troops around after reportedly agreeing to a deal. The Wagner Group boss said in a statement that the march wasn't an effort to overthrow Putin, but rather a protest. I'm Trey Thomas. Prosecutors will seek the death penalty against the suspected killer of four University of Idaho students. A new court filing Monday says the Boise prosecutors are pushing for the ultimate penalty against Brian Koberger. His trial is set to begin in October and is expected to last six weeks. A grand jury indicted him in the brutal murders of the students at their college house last November. 
Attendance at places of worship is down since the COVID pandemic. A Gallup survey shows 31 percent of respondents say they've gone to church, synagogue, mosque or temple in the past week. An average of 30 percent said so between 2020 and 2023, a slight decline from the 34 percent average who said the same thing in previous four-year period. Gallup surveys show a 10% decline in attendance since 2012. The report says it's not clear whether the pandemic was the cause for the decline, but writes, quote, the temporary closure of churches and ongoing COVID-19 avoidance activities did get many Americans out of the habit of attending religious services weekly, end quote. Pope Francis has written a letter to thank those who took care of him while he was in the hospital earlier this month. From Vatican Radio, Zeus Legaspi reports. The Pope expressed his gratitude to the entire hospital staff whose care and attention, he said, were crucial in helping him get better. He described the Gemelli Hospital as a place of both suffering and hope, having spent nine days there in post-operational recovery. In the letter, the Pope wrote of his wish to express gratitude for how he was cared for after his surgery. The Pope was admitted to the hospital on June 7th and underwent abdominal surgery to repair a hernia and remove scarring from previous operations. He was discharged on June 16th with a surgeon describing him as better than before his hospitalization. It was the third time Pope Francis has received treatment at the hospital after having undergone surgery for a symptomatic diverticular stenosis of the colon in July 2021 and three days of treatment for bronchitis in March 2023. In that place of suffering and hope, he wrote in his letter, I was once again able to enjoy the family-like, fraternal, and welcoming atmosphere which was hugely helpful for my recovery after the operation. The Pope said his heartfelt appreciation goes to the entire Gemelli Hospital community for its human and spiritual closeness. In conclusion, he sent his blessings, asked for prayers, and fraternally assured Gemelli staff of his own prayers for them and their families. A note released by the hospital's board of directors said they have shared the joy and emotion for the words of the Holy Father with the entire staff. I'm Zeus Legaspi. And the LSU Tigers are the 2023 Men's College World Series champions. LSU dismantled Florida 18-4 in the decisive Game 3 of the championship series yesterday in Omaha. Six separate batters drove in two or more runs to lead LSU to the program's seventh national championship title. The Tigers got redemption over their SEC rival after falling to the Gators in the College World Series final back in 2017. That's that is that is a team effort right there. That when is you have uh, six all hands of, on deck. Yeah, six of nine batters driving in two or more runs. It's uh, pretty impressive. So yeah. go Tigers, G E A U X, as it were. Go Tigers! And congratulations uh, to Carla yeah. Broussard and company. Carla Broussard and, and Carla. to all of my in-laws. Oh, all your in-laws are my mother-in-law is. Yeah, from Louisiana. From Louisiana. So they're Louisiana. Louisiana. From Louisiana. But yeah, it's uh, it's always kind of fun to watch these guys. You never know who's uh, on those rosters that'll show up in a big mm-hmm. league dugout here, uh, sometimes sooner rather than later. So true. Congratulations to you all, Matt. I learned that Ellie De La Cruz from the Reds. He just hit for the cycle on Friday. Yes. He was born the year I graduated high school. <laughs> Well, 
You know, there's another Daylight like, Cruise. Oh no! Since we're on the feast of a doctor of the church, there's another Daylight Cruise who's a doctor of the church. That'd be Juan Daylight Cruise, who you know as Saint John of the Cross. Yes. So, uh, it was hard for me to root in the Brave series against Eddie Rosario, whose last name is literally the Rosary. The Rosary for yeah. the Braves. There's a few like that. Encarnacion. It's just hard sometimes when you're playing an Encarnacion. On the other side, and you're like, yeah. I know, it's like you just. How, I'm not rooting against the incarnation. I know, right? It's hard. Nope. Concepcion, Davy Concepcion. Oh yeah. After the Immaculate Conception, it's just hard to root against those guys. Eight minutes past. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We're joined now by Father Boniface Hicks, and he is the author of Personal Prayer: A Guide to Receiving the Father's Love. We've been going through, uh, you know, how to better understand and uh, you know position ourselves in a spirit of prayer and the liturgy. Father, good morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and today we're going to talk about modesty in Mass, but not the way that you think. Like, a lot of people will think, oh, that just means that, uh, you know, I should probably dress appropriately for the liturgy. But when we're talking about modesty and the way that uh, we're called into sort of a modest spirit of prayer, uh, how are we—I mean, what is it that we're trying to get at here? Well, this uh, <clears throat> this section of the book is is primarily a quote from Romano Guardini and his Spirit of the Liturgy, uh, a beautiful paragraph where he observes uh, really kind of the modesty that the Mass itself has, and then uh, there's a, a little note there also about our own spiritual modesty. But 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 the first thing is really the way that the Mass itself is able to engage every human emotion it is. Uh, our, our joy, we can be moved to tears, we can feel our own uh, weakness, we can be, uh, our hearts can be pierced with compunction for our sins, we can be encouraged in our mission as Christians, we, all kinds of things that can engage us emotionally. And two people sitting next to each other can have very different experiences at the same time, depending on where they are with the Lord. And one person can have tears coming down their face, while another person is sort of overflowing with, with joy and praise. And that could happen in the same Mass, because during the Mass, for example, Jesus is becoming present, his whole Paschal mystery is being renewed, and his love is, is being revealed to us. And so, uh, depending on where we are internally, that's going to, to strike us in different ways. And yet, that can happen in the Mass without it being problematic. Somebody's tears next to me don't prevent me from being overflowing with joy. And, uh, I, and, and likewise, my, my joy doesn't need to overwhelm the person next to me so that they don't feel like it's appropriate to be, to be moved to contrition and, and tears. And so there's a, there's a kind of veil over the mass that engages the heart, and yet it doesn't, as uh, Romano Gordini says, it doesn't drag anything into the light. It doesn't force us to reveal our inner secrets. It doesn't uh, require us to, to make manifest these, these very hidden and deep movements in our hearts, which would be, uh, in some cases, maybe in many cases, inappropriate. It's not about allowing all of our interior life to be displayed out for everybody else to see. There's uh, very intimate and, and hidden places that we can meet the Lord, and and the Mass brings brings all of that out. You know, it's so interesting to me, uh, thinking back on my experience of, you know, some worship contexts in the evangelical world, and just what a different kind of way of thinking that is. Because, you know, the idea would be that you'd go to church, 
uh, there'd be, you know, sometimes if you were going to sort of a more praise and worship oriented congregation in terms of the music, you know, extended, you know, musical interludes, sometimes you'd be singing for a half hour straight and the goal would be to have people like have expressive emotions on their faces, right? To raise their hands, to kind of like be moving around. And, you know, some people are genuinely authentically doing that. But if you're in that, you know, row of chairs and you see everybody in the row doing it for you, except for you, you're like, ah, I gotta, I gotta, you know, work this up in myself, or I've got to, you know, look like I'm, you know, having the same kind of spiritual experience as everybody else, or I've just got to go to the bathroom and just like hide out for the next 15 minutes till they finish singing the same chorus 20 more times. Right. Uh, whereas, mm. and people don't understand that, that there's a freedom in the mass to where everybody can come as they are. And I don't really look around at mass to see what everybody else is doing. Emotionally speaking, the church has basically said, here's when you kneel. Here's when you stand. <laughs> Here's when you sit. Right. And that seems like it would be like a restricting thing. But in some ways, if you've come from that other world, it's a really freeing thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and that has, you know, those kinds of prayer meetings can have their own value. Sometimes we benefit from having a little electricity run through us. There's a collective effervescence, to use a Durkheimian term, of being together with others and, and our hearts being moved. There's a resonance and uh, synchrony that can happen there. So it's a, uh, not that that's a, a, a terrible thing, but the Mass is universal. The Mass is something that's meant to flow through our whole life. The Mass is meant to engage the whole range of humanity, and it's meant to do that every time. And so it's playing a very different role uh, than that other kind of uh, prayer meeting, which I also, again, appreciate, but I wouldn't appreciate being forced into that every Sunday for Sunday Mass. As, uh, as the mainstay of my life from age 3 to age 93, uh, then being sort of forced, pushed around emotionally, we might say, would start to feel that way if that's the only way that I could worship. Well, and that's also because in those particular worlds, there's not this realm of a whole buffet of different kinds of spiritualities that you can adapt to various, <laughs> you know, personalities, uh, the way that you know, you can go to a mass and there are people who are like lay Carmelites, people who are more into like third order Franciscan life, some people who are more into Benedictine life, some people who are, you know, maybe part of a charismatic community and they all kind of go to mass in the same place. Uh, there's not really room for a lot of those different expressions in one of those previous worlds that I came from. You kind of all have to be sort of the same personality type and the mass, the universality of the mass, I think is a real, I don't know. I, th I think it's a real gift that, that is easily overlooked. Yeah, it brings, you said it beautifully, it brings all of those different spiritualities together. It's genuinely Catholic. So it's a Catholic worship. It, it's universal. It covers the whole range of humanity and individual styles of prayer and spiritualities and whatever moment is happening at a particular time in our life. And so it's, it's uniting of everyone, the source, center, and summit of, of all that we do in our Catholic faith. Great stuff. Father Boniface Hicks, we've got your book, Personal Prayer linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much. And I, I should have said more about Benedict and spirituality, just being one spirituality among many. You know, I mean, it is a pretty good spirituality <laughs> as far as I'm, I'm concerned. the best. You know, it's the best. But <laughs> Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. We'll be back right after this with Headlines and Anna Mitchell. It's 16 minutes past the hour.
Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I had to go through fear and thank God that I overcame the fear and I just left it up to God and now there's no more fear, there's just acceptance and I'm just learning to listen. If you want to be closer to God, you just need to keep following His rules and your application, your radio station has helped me to always be positive and continue to listen to the rules and obey. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis today has accepted the resignation of the embattled Bishop of Knoxville. The Supreme Court has entered its final week in session and is still has 10 decisions pending. And a new Gallup survey confirms that attendance at places of worship is down since the COVID pandemic. Not that we needed that to tell us. But. No, I think we already know. But uh, I can tell you this, that I'm just getting waves upon waves of people coming to us at the Coming Home Network saying, hey, this made me think about my life a little bit more, and I'm either going to become Catholic or come back to Mass. So Good. I want to see that stat. How many people who are here came back well, because get they on had like, it, a chance to Matt. reflect? That's the kind of thing we need you for. I don't take polls that often, Anna Mitchell, because well, I don't trust them. get on it. Why do I, create why do I a poll a that, that we can trust. Create a poll that we can trust, Matt. I have a story to tell. Matt's polls, a poll you can trust. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So um, yesterday, uh, we were going to uh, Tommy and Freddie's baseball games. Even though to say baseball is kind of generous, but nonetheless, we were there. And we come home, and I realize that I have lost the bottom of my shoe. Like. I wear heels, you know. My boss calls a, calls me well above four feet, and the like. The bottom of my heel went missing, and so Will went back to the field to try to find it while I cooked dinner, and I was praying to Saint Anthony, and he comes back and he has it, but he says, you know, I looked all over the field, blah blah blah, couldn't find it. Was about to call you, and then I looked in the console 
of the car and saw it there. I was like, oh, that's great. Awesome. And he goes, but um, it was interesting at one of the picnic tables, I found a St. Benedict medal sitting there, like a quarter dollar size. I was like, huh, interesting. Let me look at my keychain. And unbeknownst to me, I had lost the St. Benedict medal on my keychain. I still had all my keys, but that had fallen off at the field and Will found it. And I think St. Anthony sent Will on a wild goose chase for my shoe, but it was really to find the St. Benedict medal. The saints are sneaky sometimes. I know. You know, sometimes people, I, well, I've got a, man, I've got a whale of a saint story for you, but sometimes saints pick us out. Mm-hmm. We're like, ah, which saint am I going to like follow around? Sometimes the saints follow you around. You just got to pay attention. Yeah. I got an insane Maria Goretti story. I'm going to share this oh, time cool. next hour. Anyway, thanks, St. Anthony. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with a Marian Thought. One of the many titles given to Mary is Gate of Heaven. This image applies to Mary in two ways. In God's divine plan, he chose a lowly maiden from Nazareth to be the portal through which the Son of God comes into the world. At the same time, Mary is the gateway that leads to life with her Son. It is true that there are many ways to Christ, but as Catholics we believe the surest way is through Mary. She is not only the gate, but the gatekeeper. She intercedes for us to her Son that we may enter heavenly life with him. Bishop Sheen understood this image well when he wrote that when he died, the words he hoped to hear from Jesus were these, My mother has spoken well of you. As we approach the Lord, let us ask Mary to speak well of us, so that with her help we may share in God's glory. Mary, gate of heaven, pray for us. Sunrise Morning Show continues. We are glad that you are along here on this Tuesday, the 27th of June. It is the Feast of St. Cyril of Alexandria. More on him coming up later this hour with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Marlon De La Torre from knowingisdoing.org. He's uh, in the Diocese of Columbus, where they listen on St. Gabriel Radio. Marlon, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Go Bucks. So today we are talking about developing an awareness of God. And, mm-hmm. you know, what are some of the ways that we can really do a better job of cultivating that? Uh, because, you know, I think even those of us who believe in God mm-hmm. uh, are sometimes not necessarily, like, aware of him. 
Correct. Uh, it, it's 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 an age, it's an adage from from the beginning, really, of, of civilization of becoming aware of your environment, what what is happening, what works, what doesn't work, what do I believe certain things. So, uh, really, developing an awareness of anything is being cognizant of your environment, being cognizant of of how you're you're doing things or communicating with someone, and then essentially having that environment either through a human being or even through an interaction with something that you fall upon or you walk upon that tells you, hmm, maybe I need to think about this. And so uh, really it begins with the awareness of the environment around you um, and what you see, what you sense, what you feel. How do you attribute that to something greater than you? And for, for human beings, uh, whether you're, you're teaching the faith or trying to proclaim it in some way, uh, the, the first instance of the first premise is to become aware of, of what you've been given. Uh, how are you communicating and how are people communicating to you? And and, and that's essential for uh, any type of language communication uh, or even for a small child or an adult to understand what they're receiving or doing with respect to the faith. And so you, you begin really with the environment. I mean, how do you become aware of, uh, of God around you? Right? Look what you have. Uh, look how you're communicating. Uh, determine really the, the journey of faith that you're on and how that affects you and others. So really there's an interaction between uh, the human condition and what God has given you and those around you. I, I think it, it may sound somewhat, uh, I see philosophical, but it's not, it's, it's a really basic concept uh, of how you're interacting with the world around you. And then from there you progress, you begin to gain a sense of, uh, of who God is in your life. If you so choose. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is, this is some you know, well, it's one of those things that sometimes you can see in retrospect more yeah. easily than you can see in the moment. Of course. Right? <laughs> the awareness mm-hmm. of how God's been working in your world and mm-hmm. working uh, in your life. But, you know, we need something visible. We need something true. We need something that, that appeals to our senses. And I think we can sometimes make the mistake of saying, well, God only speaks to me kind of in like a silent voice in my heart. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're when you're thinking that way, you can miss the fact that he's actually speaking in a bunch of different ways if you kind of have the, the, the lens to look at it that way. Correct. I, I th- there's, there's a perpetual encounter with God because he never ceases to communicate. I think that, that's, that's something that, that faith, um, if practice and strengthened, produces in us. It's an understanding that uh, God's infinite love never ceases. And so for our position as human beings, because we're finite, because sin gets in the way, it impedes our ability to to recognize his communication. We tend to forget that he's always there. He, he is communicating. Faith does not mean that you believe in a glass of water will, will satisfy your thirst. Faith means that if you don't see the glass of water, that somehow you will find one and be able to obtain that water and satisfy your thirst. So there, there's a different way of looking at uh, how God communicates to you. So it's not necessarily uh, what you can see, but it's what you can't see and knowing that you can get there. But we're, we're physical beings. We rely on something physical. We have to see something in order for us to believe that that's part of the reality of, of being on this earth. And so when, when you see those invitations, when you receive love from someone, all right, that becomes really the first instance of, all right, there's something good here. This brings me joy, someone that cares for me. And, and that's very incarnational in terms of our interaction and becoming a, a, aware of God's love. Usually it's through an object, but most likely through another human being actually uh, sharing or willing to uh, sacrifice themselves for you. Well, it's so interesting, Marlon, because love, well, you know, Jesus tells us that the entire 
law and com- the prophets and all the commandments can be mm-hmm. summed up in love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't mm-hmm. love God and don't love your neighbor, then it just sounds like a bunch of weird rules that don't make sense that somebody just made up off the top of their head. <laughs> Correct. Right? But if you do love God and do love your neighbor, then suddenly you know that awareness of that relationship helps all the other stuff that the church asks of you make sense. If you're just looking at it as, you know, the church imposing some sort of moral code that you don't understand because the church is trying to grasp at power, that's one thing. If you understand that, you know, the church is meant to be the instrument of Christ's love in the world and you understand kind of the thinking behind that, you're like, oh, I'm suddenly aware of how all this stuff fits together. Correct. And and then you're more disposed or inclined to, to seek it. Uh, you want to apply it in your life. It, it becomes more uh, of a natural occurrence. And th- that's the beauty of really becoming aware of, of God around you, of those around you. You, you. you hunger for more. And then in turn, the hope is that you want to share that with others in some capacity. That That's that's the gist, I think, spiritually, of how our awareness of God uh, is both experiential but also physical. Uh, both have to work in tandem and and that's how you begin to develop really a a beautiful relationship with him share the love and then the rules will start to make sense you know i think sometimes we just share the rules without love and and it doesn't make any sense (laughs) i agree with you more so uh you know this is this is some great stuff uh marlon de la torre we've got you linked at sunrisemorningshow.com the title of the, the article we've been discussing is developing an awareness of god thanks so much marlon have a great day Appreciate it, Matt. Go Bucks! And we've got uh, all that linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Not just Marlin, but all the people we talk to on a daily basis. Uh, we also post prayers in the show notes as well. I posted that prayer we started the hour with from St. Cyril of Alexandria. If you want to get those show notes delivered to your inbox daily, go to sunrisemorningshow.com, enter your email, and click subscribe. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Pope Francis today has accepted the resignation of the embattled Bishop of Knoxville. The Vatican press release simply states that the Holy Father has accepted Bishop Richard Stika's resignation and did not name a successor. This coming after a Vatican-ordered investigation into his management, Bishop Stika has been accused of mishandling allegations against priests in the diocese. Pope Francis has thanked the staff of Gemelli Hospital in Rome for their fraternal care and attention as he recovered from surgery to address an abdominal hernia earlier this month. The Holy Father said in a letter, quote, In that place of suffering and hope, once again I was able to enjoy the family-like fraternal and welcoming atmosphere, which was hugely helpful for my recovery after the operation, end quote. In Washington, the Supreme Court is set to hand down key decisions this week that could address student debt relief, affirmative action, and federal election laws, among others. The court is entering its final week of the summer session with 10 cases pending still. They also include a case over First Amendment rights up against the LGBT agenda out of Colorado, where a designer argues that a state law would require her to de- that would require her to design websites for same-sex ceremonies would violate her conscience. Russian President Vladimir Putin says march on Moscow by a group of mercenary soldiers over the weekend was, quote, criminal activity. Trey Thomas reports. Speaking through an interpreter, Putin said there will be consequences. The organizers of this rebellion, this 
cannot but understand that they will be brought to justice. He addressed Russia Monday, just days after the head of the Wagner Group turned his troops around after reportedly agreeing to a deal. The Wagner Group boss said in a statement that the march wasn't an effort to overthrow Putin, but rather a protest. I'm Trey Thomas. Attendance at places of worship is down since the COVID pandemic. A Gallup survey shows 31% of respondents say they've gone to church, synagogue, mosque, or temple in the past week. An average of 30% said so between 2020 and 2023, a slight decline from the 34% average who said the same in the previous four-year period. Church attendance is down seven points among Catholics from 37 to 30% and down four points among Protestants from 44 down to 40%. The report said it's not clear whether the pandemic was the cause for the decline, but says, quote, the temporary closure of churches and the ongoing COVID-19 avoidance activities did get many Americans out of the habit of attending religious services weekly. The South Carolina Supreme Court will once again hear arguments on the state abortion ban. The state's highest court ruled back in January that the fetal heartbeat bill that banned abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy was unconstitutional. Lawmakers have since passed new restrictions, causing the state's Supreme Court to conduct a new review this week. If the new measure is not found unconstitutional, it would take effect. Members of the North Carolina Senate last night approved some last-minute changes to a new abortion law scheduled to take effect on July 1st. The vote passed 45 to 2. Republicans say the changes were meant to clarify certain parts of the new law, which bans abortion after 12 weeks. Changes included removing language in the original bill that limited prescriptions for the abortion drug to 10 weeks instead of 12. The changes were also approved in advance of a federal court hearing, which is scheduled for tomorrow. It was a lawsuit that was filed by Planned Parenthood. Louisiana will redraw the state's congressional map after the Supreme Court dismissed its appeal Monday. The state was sued last year over a new map passed by the legislature that created just one district with a black majority. That despite census data showing the state's population to be about a third black. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Anna Mitchell. It's 35 past. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. How unfortunate are those who fall from the tops of high mountains. When they fall from these heights, the poor creatures roll and roll without stopping, right to the bottom of the precipice. The same thing happens to those who fall spiritually because they do not persevere in the service of God. It is a strange thing. After a good beginning and perhaps persevering for thirty or forty years in the service of God, Just as they reach old age, when it is time to harvest the fruits of their labors, they tumble into the abyss of sin. How inscrutable are the divine judgments! No one must presume on his own ability to persevere or rely on his own goods, as if he had nothing to fear. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Marilyn Santos. She's Associate Director of the Secretariat of Evangelization and Catechesis for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops and is here to talk to us about the Eucharistic Revival Musical Competition. Marilyn, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Blessings. Yeah, and to you as well. Thank you so much for being willing to come on. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your uh, the meeting with the Pope before we get to this musical competition. Sure. Um, it was, you know, of course, you know, just um, I think a part of me is still processing. All of us are. Uh, His Holiness was, you know, just so graceful for us. As we know, he's still recuperating. Um we we took it as a special blessing that he kept his meeting with us, and then he did have to postpone some of this. So for us, the message was clear that um, the revival and, and the Eucharistic revival is something that he, he gave it a priority. So it was truly a blessing. He spoke to us. Um, he reminded us of so many things. You know, um, we have these four pillars for um, the revival or invitations, and in his discourse to us, he, he asked us and he prayed for us that we, we commit ourselves, I think his exact words were, with greater zeal mm-hmm. to being uh, to being the Eucharist. Um, he reminded us that we encountered he who is the Lord, um, and then who loved us to the end, and that we have then have to become credible witnesses. It was just, it was just an incredible moment, and and of course he ended up he ended his um as usually asking us to pray for him, but his and then remind and asking us from his heart that if the Eucharist um, is really going to have meaning, to never forget the poor, mm-hmm. the suffering and the wearying, and those who may have gone astray in life. So it was, it was very a very powerful moment, life-changing. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I mean, I know you all are, are so committed to this Eucharistic revival here in the United States, but I imagine that must have been quite the shot in the arm uh, motivation <laughs> to continue on as, as we approach the National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis. So that brings us to this musical competition for the Eucharistic Revival. What was this all about? 
Right. Well, from the very beginning, um, you know, I think one of Bishop Cousins' first words were that, you know, this was, he wanted to start a fire, not a program with this revival. And, and when we started looking at all the different ways that God has, has gifted us with graces, you know, and how can we allow people to express their love for the Lord and the Eucharist, um, the arts just automatically bubble to the top, and certainly in song and music, you know, because music has a way of being transformative in a way that sometimes the simple prose cannot. So we decided to launch uh, this contest with that are two, um, two categories. One would be for the official um, revival and Congress theme, and then the other one is the official revival and Congress liturgical hymn. Um, so we, we do have winners. Um, I believe our press release went out last week. We had two lovely women from across the nation and their songs are, um, currently just being, um, final edits, you know, um, little pieces. And then we'll soon be able to be posting, um, the song sheets. We will also be making audio recordings and everything will be available on the website because our goal really, the reason we did it this year during the parish year is that our vision is that by the time we get to the Congress in 2024, it will become very familiar. So mm-hmm. it's something that even those who aren't able, for whatever reason, to make it to Indianapolis are still very much a part of this revival as we, we unite um, worshiping the Lord in song. Yeah, about how many entries came in for this competition? Um, we had over 500 entries, wow. and some of them were international, which was really not something that we ever... Um, thought would happen, so it was kind of exciting when we saw um, entries coming in from Australia, from the U.K., some from South America and Latin America, so it, that we've certainly it captured a, a global attention that we're delighted with because it's the message of the revival that got out there, and again, something that we um, wasn't in our um, in our radar when we, when we launched this, so the revival is um, clearly already um, bearing gifts and fruits outside of the U.S. Yeah, clearly. So how did you evaluate Evaluate all of those entries in this competition. Well, well, lucky for them, it wasn't me because I have no <laughs> musical talent. But we um, we have seven amazing judges, professional liturgists, and musicians who um, volunteered their time. So as the entries came in, they were sorted, you know, to make sure that they met um, the criteria that we had set forth, et cetera, et cetera. And then once um, myself in the office um, deemed those, we would send those then to the judges. And they, um, you know, as professionals, um, uh, the criteria was based on, obviously, um, doctrinal soundness, um, melody and harmony and, and, and just and the, the lyrics. And um, it took them a while, but when we finally did come, they had um, narrowed it down to the final ten. Then um, this is this was all done remotely. But then for the final ten, the seven judges um, flew in here to D.C. on Memorial Day, which I, I, I want to underscore because again, um, it was a holiday, and yet these judges. Um, just were so dedicated to this, and so we went to St. Matthew's Cathedral, the cathedral here in D.C., and they were live performances oh, by wow. the cathedral choir. Um, and then we, um, you know, based on there, they they did the discerning and their judging, and they came up they came up with the winners. And then we were able to notify them um, uh, within 24 hours, and of course, ask them to you know not spread the word, which is uh, until we were ready to make the official announcement. But the process took. Um, yeah, I guess because we launched in February, so it was quite a number of months of just going through all these and and coming up with the ten until the, the judges finally were able to discern 
discerned the two and the and the two various categories that they felt really um demonstrated um what we were going for as far as the the message of the Eucharist and as I said before that they were doctrinally um accurate. Yeah. Kathleen Pluth and Diane Mahoney were the two winners and uh they are go to the Eucharistic Revival site eventually to hear what they came up with. We've been talking to Marilyn Santos about it. Marilyn, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a blessed day. You do the same. Thank you very much. All right, coming up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, Dr. Matthew Bunsen joins us today. The Feast of St. Cyril of Alexandria, not to be confused with Cyril of Jerusalem, um, both of them doctors of the church. But we're talking about the Egyptian one today. And uh, he's got a pretty good story. So great defender of the mother of God. We'll talk more about it with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Coming up next, it's 16 till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is. And put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share, 844-334-3245. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. I used to wonder if God really cared, why it mattered what church I went to, or why I even bothered with faith at all. Then I started praying more often and going to church. What happened? My relationships got stronger and I felt a peace that I never had before. I realized that God in my life was the difference between occasionally being happy and finding lasting joy. If you're looking for something more, check out catholicscomehome.com. Hi, this is Johnette Williams. We embrace the essence of feminine spirituality on Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 14 till, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis today has accepted the resignation of the embattled Bishop of Knoxville. The Vatican has announced today that the Pope's special peace envoy for the war in Ukraine will be heading to Moscow starting tomorrow. And the Supreme Court still has 10 decisions pending as we are now in the final week of the summer session. 
Next newscast coming up in about 15-ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News and creator of the Doctors of the Church series on EWTN. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Very good to be with you. It is very good to have you. And we are talking about St. Cyril of Alexandria today, a church father, doctor of the church, whose feast is June 27th. Can you talk about the status of the See of Alexandria in his time, and how did he become the Bishop of Alexandria? Well, the See of Alexandria traced itself all the way back uh, to Mark, of course, uh, of great fame. Uh, It uh, was, however, a tumultuous see. It was, uh, by the time of uh, Cyril's life, uh, ranked among the patriarchates, uh, especially the East, uh, in the Christian Church. It was a position of immense prominence. Uh, it was, however, as I just mentioned, somewhat of a troubled sea. It was um, filled with a lot of unrest uh, for much of its history, and whoever was Patriarch of Alexandria uh, wielded not only a great deal of ecclesiastical influence, but also a lot of social and political influence, but that also meant that you were dragged into a lot of the civil and civic uh, challenges of the time. It was a crossroads of the Roman Empire, and as such, too, it, it brought in a lot of influences from all over the place. In the case of Cyril, uh, you know that he was born in Egypt, and uh, it is likely that his uncle, uh, Theophilus, uh, helped uh, with his education. That was important because Theophilus himself was at one point the Patriarch of Alexandria. And is that how Cyril came to become the Patriarch of Alexandria? Was this a case of nepotism in some ways? <laughs> well, let's just say it didn't hurt. Uh, we know that uh, through his mother, uh, Cyril was given a really superb education. Obviously, he was someone of, of a genius-level uh, IQ and a, a man of deep and abiding prayer. He had something of a, a fiery temperament, uh, as history has demonstrated, but uh, it was ultimately a fairly logical choice uh, for him to succeed his uncle as the Patriarch of Alexandria, in part because Cyril was truly well-qualified, uh, a man of deep prayer, uh, and somebody of such immense studies, uh, especially in terms of Bible and Scripture and theology, uh, and somebody who was given a great deal of experience by his uncle. So the, the idea that has sometimes been posited that he was, that this was nepotism, uh, he was actually the best person chosen, although his appointment as patriarch, as often happened, uh, was greeted uh, by rioting in the streets by those who were uh, supporters of his rival and archdeacon by the name of Timotheus. It's so interesting. And what I also find interesting is how uh, you can find saints pitted against saints sometimes in our history. And to that end, um, what was the Synod of the Oak? And did he play a major role in it? 
Well, I was mentioning that uh, he was uh, with his uncle and learned a great deal with his uncle. So he accompanied Theophilus all the way to Constantinople in 403 for the very famed, as you call it, the Synod of the Oak in Constantinople, which had as its primary function the deposition, the removal of another great saint, another great doctor of the Church, St. John Chrysostom, in his position as Archbishop of Constantinople. Uh, so, yes, you're absolutely right. From time to time, they can be on the other side uh, from each other. Um, but we also know that um, Cyril himself was not patriarch at the time, uh, but he was still a fairly young man. And I think he looked at this situation and learned a great deal from it uh, in terms of how far you can push the imperial court, for example, but also how crises can develop in the life of the Church. And in his time as patriarch, he faced many a crisis. Yes, yes, he did, and um, had a part in uh, the the deposition or the removal of somebody who really did need to be removed from his <laughs> yes. role. Um, talk about Nestorius and and Cyril's work to counter him. Well, we come to one of the the great arguments in the life of the church, one of the great debates in the life of the church, and it hangs, in the case of Nestorius, on the use of a term. And that term is Theotokos, or God-bearer, which is one of the great titles that is given to Mary throughout the history of the Church, that she was truly the mother of God. She bore God. For the patriarch, or the Archbishop of Constantinople, Nestorius, uh, the successor of sorts to uh, St. John Chrysostom, he argued no, that uh, that is not a title that uh, would be appropriate for Mary, uh, because he saw her not as Theotokos, or God-bearer, but as Christotokos, in other words, the Christ-bearer. Why? Because in Nestorius's mind, uh, again, we're in an era in which you have theologians trying to deepen our understanding of Christology, of who Christ is, and so often we see that Mary is the perfect lens for trying to, to understand that. For Nestorius, there was this deep, sharp distinction between the divine and human natures of Christ. And as a result of that, Nestorius's argument is that, no, Mary should be Christotokos, not Theotokos. And this was simply unacceptable uh, for Cyril, and led ultimately to one of the great crises uh, that we see in the 5th century, an era, again, of many crises, and ultimately then uh, to another one of the famous councils in the history of the Church, the Council of Ephesus in 431. Indeed. So what was Cyril's role in defending Mary as the mother of God? I mean, how did he teach this doctrine? Well, he did it uh, through a number of ways. The, the first was uh, through this council. Uh, and for Cyril, this, the council of Ephesus was a, a truly great triumph. And what his argument is, that the Son of God, or the Divine Word, truly suffered in the flesh. And from the story, it said that the Son of God was basically unable to suffer, even within this union, as he saw it, of the flesh. So we can see that Cyril is writing copious amounts, of, copious numbers of letters uh, across the Eastern Church. He tried to get the support of the popes in all of this. And then, of course, at this council, Cyril 
chose Ephesus as a place to go with its connections uh, uh, to the Blessed Mother, and uh, then brought all of his supporters together into this massive council. And from that point on, he was then able to keep pushing this idea, uh, his teachings. Now, there was ultimately some confusion uh, in the interpretation of what Cyril himself wrote, uh, which we see in coming decades, uh, that led to another crisis in the Church long after Cyril was dead, uh, that needed clarification at the Council of Chalcedon. So this is a very complicated era in the history of the Church, but Cyril played an important part in establishing some of those key steps toward Chalcedon and the triumph, of course, there of uh, Pope St. Leo I the Great. Yeah, and as is generally the case when we talk about controversies involving the Mother of God, it's really a controversy over grappling with, with the person of Jesus Christ. It is, and that's where the Blessed Mother is always so important. She's a great lens for us, always being through her to Christ. Amen. So, Dr. Bonson, just with uh, about 30 seconds to go, what do you think uh, Cyril of Alexandria has to say to us today? First, always turn to the Blessed Mother. Second, be very clear in our language. Don't be ambiguous, but also rely on the teachings of the Church, especially her scripture and tradition. Amen. St. Cyril of Alexandria, pray for us. Pray for us. Dr. Bunsen, uh, tomorrow the feast of another doctor of the church, Hilary Poitier. You got any availability? <laughs> I think I can be around. <laughs> awesome. You'll be hearing from me. Anyway, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Bunsen. Always. God bless. You too. Thank you. All right. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show for most of our affiliates here on EWTN. Coming up next. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word. It is Tuesday, the 27th of June, the Feast of St. Cyril of Alexandria. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, you created the heavens and the earth and all they contain. Reveal to all who seek you the beauty of your presence there. You dwell in light and accessible. Deepen our hunger to know you, the one true God. You make manifest your redeeming love in word and sacrament. Make of us, your people, a credible sign of your presence and work. O God of light and glory, you are the beauty we seek, the power to whom we entrust ourselves, the love for whom we hunger and thirst. Make yourself known to all people through Jesus Christ our Lord. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Cyril of Alexandria, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We'll talk more about St. Cyril with Mike Aquilina coming up here in just a little bit. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We'll also chat with Father Frank Donio about accompanying couples experiencing infertility. Steve Ray will talk about rainbows in the Bible. Rainbows, a fairly prominent feature in lots of corporate messaging during the month of June, and we'll talk about some of the biblical nuances of what the rainbow sort of was uh, intended to mean. Chris McGregor is going to be along to talk about Clement I and the First Martyrs of Rome as we dive into the Office of Readings with her at the end of the hour. So 
Lots to get to on a Tuesday. Stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis today has accepted the resignation of the embattled Bishop of Knoxville. The Vatican press release simply states that the Holy Father has accepted Bishop Richard Schicka's resignation and did not name a successor. This coming after a Vatican-ordered investigation into his management. The bishop had been accused of mishandling allegations against priests in the diocese. The Vatican has announced today that the Pope's peace envoy in the war in Ukraine will head to Moscow tomorrow. The Holy See released a communique saying Cardinal Matteo Zuppi of Bologna will make a two-day visit to Moscow on June 28th and 29th, saying, quote, the primary purpose of the initiative is to encourage gestures of humanity that may contribute to promoting a solution to the tragic current situation and to find ways to reach a just peace, end quote. Earlier this month, Cardinal Zuby visited Kiev. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin says a march on Moscow by a group of mercenary soldiers over the weekend was, quote, criminal activity. Trey Thomas reports. Speaking through an interpreter, Putin said there will be consequences. The organizers of this rebellion this cannot but understand that they will be brought to justice. He addressed Russia Monday, just days after the head of the Wagner Group turned his troops around after reportedly agreeing to a deal. The Wagner Group boss said in a statement that the march wasn't an effort to overthrow Putin, but rather a protest. I'm Trey Thomas. The Supreme Court has 10 decisions pending and is set to hand down Key decisions that could address student debt relief, affirmative action, and federal election laws. The court is entering the last week of the summer session. The cases also include one over First Amendment rights up against the LGBT agenda in Colorado, where a designer has argued a state law would that would require her to design websites for same-sex ceremonies would violate her conscience. The bishops of the Democratic Republic of Congo have urged citizens to vote for competency and moral integrity in their elections later this year. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In a statement released at the close of their plenary assembly, the members of the National Episcopal Conference of Congo, recalling that since its independence, the country has been marred by a recurrent political crisis related to disputes over the legitimacy of its institutions and leadership. While acknowledging the diplomatic, political and military efforts by the Congolese government to restore peace in the conflict-ridden African nation, the bishops lament that insecurity is worsening, especially in the eastern provinces, where militias continue to threaten the lives and livelihoods of millions of people. The bishops further deplore the increasing tensions and dangerous polarizations in the political arena, which they note contrasts with the positive signals given by President Felix Tisekedi at the beginning of his tenure in 2019. In this difficult context, the message calls for a massive and responsible participation in the coming elections, which it says is of vital importance for the future of the country. 
according to the bishops, priority should be given to the objective criteria of competence and moral integrity of the candidates. The statement also warns voters against tribalists, those who practice nepotism bribery, as well as opportunists who change sides in pursuit of personal interests. In light of the unfortunate experiences of past elections, the Episcopal Conference of Congo further calls on the Congolese citizens to be vigilant. I am Lisa Zengarini. And attendance at places of worship is down since the COVID pandemic. That according to a Gallup survey that shows 31% of respondents said they've gone to church, synagogue, mosque or temple in the past week. An average of 30% said so between 2020 and 2023. That's a slight decline from the 34% average who said the same in the previous four-year period. Church attendance is down seven points among Catholics from 37 down to 30% and down 4% among Protestants from 44% down to 40%. Gallup surveys show a 10 percent decline in attendance since 2012. The report says it's not clear whether the pandemic was the cause for the decline, but writes the, quote, temporary closure of churches and ongoing COVID-19 avoidance activities did get many Americans at least out of the habit of attending religious services weekly. No, Matt, no, Matt, to comment on this. Sorry, I'm oh, I'm on the other line. Our station manager was talking to me about robots preaching homilies and how that how bad that is. Oh, um, neat. I was talking about the decline in attendance in the Gallup survey. So, oh, at churches, 30, yeah. I it's mean, because they hear that a robot's going to be preaching, and they're like, I don't want to go back <laughs> if that's what's going to be. Oh, okay. That's a good hot take there, Matt. Well, all it means is that all of our conversations are are ultimately tied into one another. It's all part of one big larger topic. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe if we uh, maybe if we bring the robots in to preach, it'll make people want to go back to church. That'd be a hard no. Yeah, um, I certainly don't want to listen to a robot preach. So, I prefer you know human priests. I'd rather they listen leading and talk. the holy sacrifice of the mass. So. Actually, I don't want them to listen either. If you're a robot, stop listening. Stop listening to everything I do and everything I say. You hear that, Alexa? No. Don't hear anything else ever again, Alexa. Play Sacred Heart Radio. It's eight past. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Father Frank Donio from the Catholic Apostolate Center. Good morning, Father Frank. Good morning, Anna. So we're continuing to discuss uh, Called to the Joy of Love, the National Pastoral Framework for Marriage and Family Life Ministry. And we've been spending some time in uh, the section on how to accompany families in in all kinds of various situations in in family life, how the church can accompany um, a married couple or or a family that, that find themselves in those situations. And today we are talking about infertility and this is a very painful reality for a lot of couples isn't it very very painful i've journeyed with a number of couples who they might have early in their marriage maybe they're not able to conceive and and maybe several several years later that they conceive but no matter what in those first years of marriage it's very painful others uh, that it is something that is is throughout their marriage 
and that is exceptionally painful. And, and in fact, the it's called in this document their their wound of infer, their the call to unite their wound of infertility with the Lord's cross. It's one of the only places where that's mentioned mm. in this document because it is it's a it's a tremendous cross to bear when there is a desire to have a child and to have children and it's very very painful and and often uh it's it it has such a or and especially if if there's been a conception and then a miscarriage and or, or multiple ones and it just adds to the pain and the challenge and the difficulty. And so often as church, we we don't necessarily know how to address it. For for many years, we just never we never did. We we just kind of left it off to the side. Yeah. Um, and and that it's very painful. Well, I think that this is a, a continuing issue, Father. I mean, this is a cross that many couples feel like they need to bear alone. I mean, not yes. only in the sense that it you don't know how to to tell people that you're experiencing this, but we're in we live in a society, a contraceptive society where, you know, people choose to not have children. And so yes. you're you're really <laughs> countercultural if if you want to have children but can't. Very much so, and, and that it just adds extra to the to the to the pain of it all because people don't necessarily bring. They might they might assume that the couple doesn't want to have children. It, it maybe doesn't come up, but when it does, there's a, a difficulty for people to even have a conversation about it. Sometimes even my even my brother my brother priests because it. it is a challenging thing and you can't necessarily say it's going to change it, it may it might but it may may not there are of course as we we know there are options uh, in terms of foster care adoption these are are certainly things that are are possibilities but they're not easy and uh, but there are a number of families that move in that direction. So what does this document put forward as ways to accompany couples finding themselves bearing this cross? Well, it's interesting that they focus on fruitfulness but in a different way. That in marriage that there that the bearing of children is not the only way of fruitfulness. That the church can help to the couple to pray and discern the form of marital fruitfulness that God may be asking of them, and that they mention uh, adoption and foster care, uh, which is a, a very generous act, certainly, uh, but also that there there is an engagement into the life of the parish community, and to to come uh, to be invited even more into activity in that parish community. Um, as a as a way of of fruitfulness, is it the same? No, it's not. But there are a variety of ways I, in which couples can engage uh, in the in the life of the parish uh, as a way of of bringing about some of these uh, possibilities. But I think that there are 
what are the ways in which medical professionals can also uh, assist uh, in a way that is morally acceptable? Yeah. And there are ways that are morally acceptable. And particularly sometimes in, in terms of the reality of the couple's um, particular intimacy with one another. And sometimes there might be some um, anxiety, some kind of, of mental health aspects that could be part of the issue. Uh, but that, that needs to be explored, but of course, in a morally appropriate way. Yeah, we need more medical professionals that uh, that become trained in those appropriate yes. ways to address this. And and just finally, Father, I mean, how how does um, a parish reach out to a couple that may not, I mean, if you don't know who they are, how do you know how to reach out to them? How do you find those people to bring them in and, and be able to accompany them in this, in this struggle? It's, it's not easy. Usually where it's happening, I notice it more, there are more young, uh, younger couples who are more public about the reality of a miscarriage, for example. Uh, and that they, that is one way maybe where the parish community can enter in to assist that family in mourning, but also in this, in this aspect to, to help the couple to recognize that their friends or family members who are aware of this, to help the couple to recognize that the parish community uh, is there to be present to them. And particularly those who are engaged in pastoral care, the priests, the deacons, lay people who are engaged in pastoral care in the parish and who could could assist and be present. Because it is, it is not only across, there is this, the emotional aspect of this, um, which really could, can cause the marriage to have great uh, challenge as a result. And so to accompany closely as the couple is dealing with this reality. Yeah, thank you so much, Father Frank Donio. You can find the Catholic Apostolate Center linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. 16 past, we're back with headlines right after this. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption, Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. 
when you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN podcasts are the perfect companion for busy Catholics everywhere. Your favorite EWTN programs are waiting for you to listen to on your time. With on-demand access to audio, you can pause and pick up right where you left off, anytime, anywhere. Just subscribe by using your mobile device's free podcast app. Find old favorites or discover something new. EWTN Podcasts. They're waiting for you. 18 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis today has accepted the resignation of Knoxville Bishop Richard Stiekup. The Vatican has announced today that the Pope's special peace envoy for the war in Ukraine will be heading to Moscow starting tomorrow. And the Supreme Court still has 10 decisions pending as we are now in the final week of the summer session. So Anna Mitchell, around this time last hour, you were talking about St. Benedict and St. Anthony kind of being sneaky and helping you out. Yeah, helping me find my uh, my keychain St. Benedict medal. Yeah. You want to hear a crazy story about a saint seeking somebody out? Please. So in our August newsletter for the Coming Home Network, every month we have a conversion story that's sort of featured. You can get the newsletter for free by going to chnetwork.org. You can sign up there to get it. But the August newsletter story is wild. Uh, so there's this lady named Pam from Texas uh, who came out of an abusive marriage and had all kinds of things. And actually... Um, it was exploring the question of annulments that ended up leading her to the Catholic Church, which is a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when Pam was in RCIA, there were some situations where one of the leaders had to drop out, and they got a new leader, and so things fell through the cracks in terms of telling her everything that she needed to know. It was a very faithful program, but there's just a lot of info that didn't really come right. through because sure. of all the stuff. So she's at the right of election. And she's standing in the back looking at a table of holy cards, and she's like, oh, this looks interesting. I'll grab one of these, grabs one of a young female on a holy card and puts it in her purse and doesn't think about it. Well, it comes time for her confirmation, and because of some annulment stuff, she comes in a little bit later than everybody else. She's standing in the back, and the deacon's got a name tag and a sharpie. He's like, all right, what's your, who's your confirmation saint? She's like, what? <laughs> what's, what's a confirmation saint? Oh, no. He's like, the saint that you picked. She's like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, he's like, well, do you have any saints that you have a special affinity for? She's like, I don't really know any saints, but I picked up this holy card of this young girl. She has some funny name. I can't remember it. He's like, is it Maria Gretti? Uh, and she's like, yeah, that's it. And he says, all right, you're Maria Gretti. She goes up to the front and uh, oh, wow. is confirmed and everything. And a couple weeks later, she's like, I should figure out more about my confirmation saint. Gets in her purse, pulls out the holy card, reads about Maria Gretti, and realizes Maria Gretti is the patron saint of abused people. Mm. And she's like, whoa, this is me. So Maria Gretti sought her out. The saints are sneaky. Yeah, they are. It's 21 past. Iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. A meditation and reflection of St. John Vianney. The Christian's treasure is not on earth, but in heaven. Our thoughts, then, ought to be directed to where our treasure is. This is the glorious duty of man, to pray and to love. Prayer is nothing else but union with God. In this intimate union, God and the soul are fused together like two bits of wax that no one can ever pull apart. Prayer never leaves us without sweetness. It is honey that flows into the soul and makes all things sweet. When we pray properly, sorrows disappear like snow before the sun. How often we come to church with no idea of what to do or what to ask for. And yet, whenever we go to any human being, we know well enough why we go. I often think that when we come to adore the Lord, we would receive everything we ask for if we would ask with living faith and with a pure heart. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Mark Watkins. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and if you want to learn more about some of the most important figures in the early church, definitely check out fathersofthechurch.com, but also Mike Aquilina's podcast that he does for Catholic culture called The Way of the Fathers. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Matt. So if we want to understand the world of St. Cyril of Alexandria in the 5th century, I guess we have to understand a little bit about the family he came from. Tell us about that. Well, you know, he was the nephew of the very famous, some would say notorious, Bishop of, of Alexandria in the late 4th century, early 5th century. Uh, that was Theophilus. Theophilus was Bishop of Alexandria uh, and, and jealous of, of the fame and authority and heritage of his city. He was an Egyptian patriot, and he knew that Christianity had been there since the generation of the apostles, that it had been evangelized by St. Mark, and he was jealous of that inheritance. What he saw in his time was that other seas were beginning to kind of crowd in on the the authority and fame of Alexandria. Jerusalem was gaining stature, and it was about to be made a patriarchate. But also Constantinople, which was really an upstart city. It was the new capital of the empire since the early 4th century, so relatively new. It had the advantage of proximity to the emperor, so that the wishes of the bishop of Constantinople could become law. So Theophilus saw these things happening. He was very jealous of his authority and, as I said, the fame of his city, and he could prosecute his wishes with a vengeance, and he did. He went after St. John Chrysostom and brought about the exile that resulted in Chrysostom's death. So that was the kind of family background that Cyril came from. Cyril was tagged early in life to be Theophilus's successor. Theophilus himself brought his, his young nephew into his household, raised him with, with the knowledge of how to, how to run a great church like the See of Alexandria, and, and also brought him along to, to those major events, brought him along to the Synod of the Oak that brought down Chrysostom. Cyril was an advisor to Theophilus, and he was the one who, who took over when Theophilus died. Well, obviously, he was a man of greater charity and clarity <laughs> than, than his uncle. But talk a little bit about some of the controversies that Cyril was tasked with addressing. 
Well, there were so many. You know, Alexandria was a rough city, and it was a it was a divided city, and there were factions all through the city. There were there were even gangs, Christian gangs, gangs of monks, you know, identified by their colors who fought against one another. He had to deal with all of this. He had to try to to rule an unruly congregation, and he didn't succeed very well, especially in the beginning. There's the famous riot that resulted in the death of the philosopher Hypatia, a pagan philosopher. And this was considered a reproach to Cyril uh, for all of subsequent history, that he was so undisciplined in his leadership that this could happen on his watch. As a result of that incident, the emperor restricted the Church of Alexandria in, in some ways. And that surely left Cyril smarting because he too was jealous of the heritage he had received as Bishop of Alexandria. So these were great challenges that he faced. Now, the greatest, of course, was to come around 428 when he got word the Bishop of Constantinople, a man named Nestorius, was condoning the preaching of heresy. Uh, there, there was a, a priest in town brought there by Nestorius who was preaching that Mary should not be called mother of God because a mother must always precede her child and no one could precede God. So Cyril condemned this teaching in letters to Nestorius. Nestorius refused to concede anything. So Cyril just uh, came at him with more force and then started uh, to do as his uncle would have done, which is to orchestrate an, an incident, an international incident. He recruited the Pope to come to his assistance and uh, many other bishops, and uh, he continued to prosecute the case against Nestorius by appealing to the emperor and the imperial household. Yeah, it's a fascinating argument when you look at all the different things going on with it, and you see some elements of this today uh, from Protestants even who do genuinely accept that Mary is the mother of God because they accept that Jesus is God, but they don't like the term, right? And Nestorius didn't like the term so much that he got hung up and invented a theology to protect himself from accidentally liking a term that he didn't think was okay. So, I mean, this is an important, important argument in the earliest days of Christianity. Uh, you know, we're talking the 400s. Uh, so, I guess, I mean, what was Cyril's argument to help Nestorius see, uh, unsuccessfully, obviously, uh, that Mary really is the mother, the person that she gives birth to really is God? Essentially, he said, uh, of course, no one precedes God. But Mary did mother God because Jesus is truly God, true God and true man. And so he made that argument and, and, and he extended it in a way that pr protected and preserved the true doctrine of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. He said that there's this, uh, this idea called the communication of idioms, that, uh, that we could posit anything of God that we could posit of Jesus. So we could say that God suffered in Jesus Christ. We could say that God was mothered in Jesus Christ, uh, that all of these things are true because the incarnation is true, that Jesus Christ has those those natures, the, the truly human nature and a truly divine nature. This is the argument of Cyril, and it's the argument that prevailed. Cyril saw that this was not a problem in Marian devotion. He saw that it was a problem in Christology, that once you start going down that road, eventually you're going to get to the point where you're denying the divinity of Christ. You know, unfortunately, I'd say that's happening in the church today. You know, that we see that we're pretty far down that road in certain Christian circles. 
you have people in Pentecostal circles and in, um, in evangelical circles who are denying the, the dogma of the Trinity, denying the, uh, the doctrine of the Incarnation, uh, coming to modest understandings of God and kind of reprising so many of the ancient heresies. But often it begins in a seemingly simple way, a seemingly harmless way by, by just an application of, of devotion. Thanks so much, Mike Aquilina. We've got fathersofthechurch.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Check it out. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Pope Francis today has accepted the resignation of the embattled Bishop of Knoxville, Tennessee. The Vatican press release today simply states that the Holy Father has accepted Bishop Richard Stika's resignation and did not name a successor. This coming after a Vatican-ordered investigation into his management of the diocese, the bishop has been accused of mishandling allegations against priests in his diocese. The Vatican has announced today that the Pope's peace envoy for the war in Ukraine will be heading to Moscow tomorrow. The Holy See released a communique saying Cardinal Matteo Zuppi of Bologna will make a two-day visit to Moscow June 28th and 29th, saying... The primary purpose of the initiative is to encourage gestures of humanity that may contribute to promoting a solution to the tragic current situation and to find ways to reach a just peace. Earlier this month, Cardinal Zuppi visited Kiev. His visit starting tomorrow comes on the heels of an attempted insurrection against Russian President Vladimir Putin over the weekend. Pope Francis has written a letter to thank those who took care of him while he was in the hospital earlier this month. From Vatican Radio, Zeus Legaspi reports. The Pope expressed his gratitude to the entire hospital staff, whose care and attention, he said, were crucial in helping him get better. He described the Gemelli Hospital as a place of both suffering and hope, having spent nine days there in post-operational recovery. In the letter, the Pope wrote of his wish to express gratitude for how he was cared for after his surgery. The Pope was admitted to the hospital on June 7th and underwent abdominal surgery to repair a hernia and remove scarring from previous operations. He was discharged on June 16th with a surgeon describing him as better than before his hospitalization. It was the third time Pope Francis has received treatment at the hospital after having undergone surgery for a symptomatic diverticular stenosis of the colon in July 2021 and three days of treatment for bronchitis in March 2023. In that place of suffering and hope, he wrote in his letter, I was once again able to enjoy the family-like, fraternal, and welcoming atmosphere which was hugely helpful for my recovery after the operation. The Pope said his heartfelt appreciation goes to the entire Gemelli Hospital community for its human and spiritual closeness. In conclusion, he sent his blessings, asked for prayers, and fraternally assured Gemelli staff of his own prayers for them and their families. A note released by the hospital's board of directors said they have shared the joy and emotion for the words of the Holy Father with the entire staff. I'm Zeus Legaspi. The Supreme Court is still expected to hand down key decisions that could address student debt relief, affirmative action, and federal election laws, among other rulings. The court is entering the last week of the summer session with 10 cases pending. They also include a First Amendment rights case up against the LGBT agenda out of Colorado, where a designer has argued a state law that would require her to design websites for same-sex ceremonies would violate her conscience. 
Prosecutors will be seeking the death penalty against the suspected killer of four University of Idaho students. Brian Shook reports. A new court filing Monday says the Boise prosecutors are pushing for the ultimate penalty against Brian Koberger. Koberger's trial is supposed to begin in October and is expected to last six weeks. A grand jury indicted Koberger in the brutal murders of the students at their college house last November. I'm Brian Shook. Attendance at places of worship is down since the COVID pandemic. A new Gallup survey shows that 31 percent of respondents have said they've gone to church, synagogue, mosque or temple in the past week. An average of 30 percent said so between 2020 and 2023. And that's a slight decline from the 34 percent average who said the same thing in the previous four year period. For Catholics, church attendance is down seven points from 37 percent to 30 percent. Among Protestants, it's down four points from 44 percent to 40 percent. The Gallup surveys show a 10 percent decline in attendance since 2012. The report says it's not clear if the pandemic was the actual cause for the decline. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, how is the church apostolic? The church is apostolic because it was founded by Christ on his apostles and because it has never ceased and never will cease to teach their doctrine. Apostolic. An apostle is one who is sent, and we know that Christ sent his apostles into the world. He ensured that they would go from time to time and from place to place, spreading his doctrine. He gave to some special powers. He breathed upon the apostles and said to them, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. And we also know that he wanted to give them the powers of government because he gave them the ability to select other apostles. And we also know that the church is apostolic because it has always taught the doctrine Christ himself taught so that we might convert the world to Christ, the inspiration and the model of all apostles. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, and during the month of June, we celebrate the Sacred Heart of Jesus, but other people celebrate other things. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about how even the rainbow has biblical roots. So, Steve Ray joins us now from CatholicConvert.com. Steve, good morning. 
Good morning, Matt. How are you today? I'm doing well, and uh, for obvious reasons, a lot of people are seeing a lot more rainbows and a lot more stores, as they do every June. Uh, but when it comes to the rainbow, uh, this is something that shows up very early in the text in Genesis in a very interesting context, and a lot of people may under- may not understand you know, why it's called a rainbow. So if you could, give us a yeah. little bit of biblical context. Yeah, I thought it would be good as we close out the month of June to talk about the real rainbow and what it really signifies. <clears throat> and it was uh, after the flood, God told Noah, look up in the sky and you'll see a bow. Now, you and I were raised in evangelical Protestant churches where we always heard about the rainbow, and then we'd read in the Bible of the rainbow. But in reality, in the Bible, you never see the word rainbow. It is only bow, and it's the context that tells you that it's the color bands that we see across the sky when it rains, because the word real, the only word that's used there is bow, and it's a warrior's bow, like a bow and arrow. And so it, it looks like that in a way. It's the curved arch in the sky, and you can imagine it being viewed by the ancient people as a bow that they uh, like you'd use to shoot arrows. But the, it's interesting that in the biblical times, um, many people in ancient times viewed the bow as a kind of an entrance to the eternal world, or it's a God, in this case, set his bow in the clouds, meaning that he had just declared war on the earth because of sin, and now he has decided to put the bow up on the shelf, in a sense. And so whenever we see the rain, whenever it rains, now that bow is setting there, it reminds us that God is no longer going to declare war on the earth or do that punishment of flooding again. You know, we get a little icon of that every time we see a rainbow, because uh, almost every time I see a rainbow, it's after a mega storm has come through, right? Some yeah, kind of exactly. powerful storm has come through, and it's not a storm that wipes out all life on the earth, but it is something that you're like, oh, I better get inside. And it's usually that's the context when I see the rainbow. So it is really kind of this interesting reminder of God's peace after a storm. Right. And and because of that, it's um, when the rainbow appears, it, it the people have always viewed it as, now we're going to have peace. It's always a reminder of peace and reconciliation and hope and joy. And for the Irish, it's a pot of gold, of course. But um, the rainbow has always been viewed that way, and it's after a storm, like you said. We just had a huge storm come through um, Michigan here. Now, we live in the woods, so we don't see the rainbow anymore, uh, but we We used to see it in our old house, and it is a reminder that I'm not going to bring this kind of disaster on the world again. And that's how it was given to Noah. And then the question arises, did at the end of the flood, was the rainbow a new phenomenon that never showed up before, or was it just that it had always showed up before, but God gave it a new significance? And I, I, my personal opinion, and by the way, my new book on Genesis is arriving at my house in two days. I just, it's been published now, and it's been printed, and it's, and it's shipping. And um, in there, I quote others and suggest that the rainbow always existed because it is a natural phenomenon in the world, but that God gave it a new significance from now on. When you see that bow, I, I also see the bow, and it's a reminder that I won't destroy the earth by a flood again. And by the way, he doesn't just say he's never going to destroy the earth again. It's just not by a flood. 
Well, I tend to go with you on this interpretation that it's not like the properties of light and rain changed after the flood. Right? Uh, God created <laughs> right. physics sort of from the beginning. It's I, I feel like it's maybe more like the cornflakes approach, you know, taste it again for the first time, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, sort of, see the rainbow in a new light from here forward. Uh, pun intended yeah. on that one. Um, yeah, but, you I know caught what it. I caught it. Yeah, I, I hope so. Now, the rainbow gets used uh, in, in a lot of ways um, in, in modern society, and we don't have to get into too much of that because this is an all-ages, you know, listening audience, and, you know, when you right. look up the rainbow, you can get all kinds of crazy directions. But I want to talk about the genius of sort of God's play on light, play on physics, because there's some really interesting stuff about how we even get a rainbow in the first place. It, it is, and, and um, it's not an object. The rainbow, you can't go out and touch it. And if you try to find it, it's not there. If you try to go and reach out and, and feel it, it's not going to be there because it's not an object. It's an illusion in a sense. And what happens is it's refracted light. And I know it's not, it, not only is this a family show, but it's also not a physics show. So I'm not going to get too uh, physical physics about it. But it, what happens is when the raindrops are coming down, the light from the sun, when it comes up and it's behind you, the sun has to be behind you and the raindrops in front of you. The sun goes through, the light goes through the raindrops. It bounces off the back of the raindrop and reflects back out through the front of the raindrop. And when it does, it refracts or it splits the light up into its various colors. That's so interesting because that's what causes the rainbow. And you have to be at a 42-degree angle in order to see this effect. So when you're standing with the sun behind you, the raindrops in front of you, and the sun goes through the raindrops, reflects back off the back side of the raindrop. Imagine that. It reflects back. And when it does, it refracts or splits up into its various colors. And there are seven, the human eye sees seven different colors. By the way, the other rainbow that's being all over it only has six colors. And if you know biblical numerology, it's pretty interesting that seven is the perfect number. Six is the number far less than perfect. It's the number of sin. It's the number of uh, imperfection and so on. I find that very interesting. But with the human eye, when those light reflects back out of the raindrop, you see the seven different colors, and that, uh, and sometimes you see a second rainbow. And since I'm part Irish, I always feel like I should chase that rainbow and see if I can find some gold at the end of it. Yeah, good luck with that. You know, I've never found it. <laughs> I've also never found the end of a rainbow, <laughs> because it is an optical no, illusion, right? Uh, the rainbow yeah, kind of moves with your eyes a little bit. It is an optical illusion. It's really quite amazing. Yeah, and uh, of course you mentioned six being the number of all those things, but it's also the number of man, and uh, you know that's yeah. uh, infer what you will about what happens when man, you know, kind of interprets creation versus sort of receiving creation, and that's again, uh, you know, part of what's behind this conversation. But the one other thing that I would mention, Steve, is about rainbows. You know, God didn't have to. I mean, he didn't have to make this beautiful, but it's just one of those things that you know, when I see a rainbow, I'm like. You know, God is gratuitous in his creation. There are all kinds of things that could be functional that don't have to also be beautiful. And here we have something yeah. that's beautiful that's not even really functional, right? It's no, just it's something not. that's just a gift of God. My wife and I have always been bird watchers. I was since I was 10 years old. And I think that God has great pleasure when he watches a hummingbird 
hovering with his wings flapping, I think, 700 beats a second or something. It's an incredible thing with all of the colors reflecting also from the sun and the just unbelievably beautiful and tiny little bird. I think God gets the same kind of um, pleasure when he looks at the rainbow, when he sees what he's given to us. And it is a sign of his incredible precision, the artist who created the universe. By the way, it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist, to believe this all got here by chance and randomness. That takes a whole lot more faith than it does for us as Catholics to believe that there's a God who created all these things and we're made in his image to enjoy them like he does. And so we, when they say that, the, that we're faith people and they criticize us, well, it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist or a secularist. But when we look at these things, we see how God is not... He's not just utilitarian, like you said, and does things just to make them useful, And but he makes things because they're beautiful. Look at the flowers. They don't have to be like that. Look at the hummingbird. They don't have to—God just makes things because he's a creator, and he loves what he creates, and especially us. And not even Solomon in all his splendor is clothed as well as they are. So, yeah, And the God who flower, made that right? made, made us, and he— Loves each yeah. and every one of us, even those of us who you know don't understand what he created us to be and, and how he wants us to be. So thanks so much, Steve Ray. We've got CatholicConvert.com linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. All right, we got Chris McGregor up next, plus headlines with Anna Mitchell. It's 14 till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Teresa Tamio. Every time I go to Mass and see my husband serving on the altar as a deacon, it hits me how, with God, all things are possible. I mean, there is no way that we should be still married, number one, based on all the problems we had. But number two, the fact that I'm in Catholic media and my husband is a deacon is simply a testimony to the power of God and the teachings of the Church that saved our marriage and, more importantly, our souls. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Johnette Williams. We embrace the essence of feminine spirituality on Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 
11 till, here's Anna with headlines. The Vatican has announced today that the Pope's peace envoy for the war in Ukraine will be heading to Moscow tomorrow. Pope Francis today has accepted the resignation of the embattled Bishop of Knoxville, Bishop Richard Stika, and the Supreme Court still has 10 decisions left to release on this or during this final week of their summer session. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, my friend. How are you doing, Anna? I am doing great, and I am so excited for our conversation today. I'm so glad uh, that you chose the selection you did from the Office of Readings this week. It's for the Feast of the First Martyrs of Rome. This week it is celebrated on on Friday, and um, the reason part of the reason why I'm so glad is because uh, we're actually going to be off on Friday um, here on the Sunrise Morning Show for a long Fourth of July weekend, and so we won't be talking about them on their feast day. So we're going to talk about them today. Tell us who are the first martyrs of Rome. They're the ones who were persecuted for their faith. They are when we say martyrs. Of course, you know. And that means in Greek, witness. And oftentimes what they had to give witness to was in a court of law, actually, a court uh, that were judging, um, uh, judging them based on their faith about who they were going to worship, who they were going to venerate. Because don't forget back in those days, there wasn't a separation of church and state. So that if you were not worshiping the uh, gods of the pagans, in this case, the Romans, um, you were essentially, you were denying the, uh, the state. And so for them to bear witness to their faith and to go uh, and really actually willingly to uh, a torturous death, that uh, to bear witness to shore up their brothers and sisters, it was really, it's the, as you know, the blood of the, the martyrs is the seed of the church, yes, absolutely. seed of the faith. So yeah, what a, what a day that is. What a day that is. And so for the Office of Readings, we have a letter from Pope St. Clement I to the Corinthians. And he, of course, not one of the first martyrs of Rome, but uh, uh martyr and uh, one that that suffered a gruesome death. Darn close to one of the first, let yeah, me tell yeah, you, yeah. The, <laughs> the fourth pope. And uh, I know you've, you've been there, Clement, haven't Cletus, you? Linus, Sixtus, Cornelius, yeah. <laughs> yes. You're so good. Well, he's but, in the canon, that's what I was He is. He's at, number four. Yes. And uh, he has that beautiful church dedicated to him in Rome that's not too oh, far yes. from the Colosseum, Yeah. right? Just down the street. And uh, there his relics were brought back because he had been. Here he is writing about the witness of, uh, of course, of those who were tortured and killed. He too would suffer that. I mean, a terrible death. I mean, to being tied to an anchor and then thrown into the sea. How about mm. that? Wow. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, and he writes so beautifully in this letter to the Corinthians. Here, the, What is it about those Corinthians? I know. What is it about the Corinthians? <laughs> They always yes. need to get wet, whipped into line. Yeah, I mean, could it? Could they not say uh, Pope Saint Clement the First to the Americans? Mm-hmm. 
to uh, those in the United States, those in uh, Cincinnati and those in Omaha. Oh, my gosh. You know, and yeah. all, all around the country. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he talks about how... Uh, the contest, and how ironic, huh? I mean, the first line is, let us come to those who enter the contest in modern times. Mm. Uh, let us take the noble examples of our own generation. Of course, he's speaking 2,000 years ago, practically. And yet, what he is saying today is the same thing that uh, needs to be borne witness to to all of us, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's so true that, the I mean, ever ancient, ever new, right, Chris? It is, you know, and we need this kind of witness, and we'll we'll get into it a little bit more deeply in just a few moments. But I just got a uh, uh, email this morning from the Pew organization, and maybe you've seen this, but once again, here's a study, and church attendance is dropping dramatically mm-hmm. again, and in favor of people staying home and maybe watching television, watching it on Facebook. I mean, being further and further ripped, uh, you know, and removed from engagement and community. And why is that? You know, and it it talks about, as he does, that through jealousy and envy, the greatest and most righteous pillars of the church were attacked and they kept up the struggle until death. And I think that's, you know, that those two words, jealousy and envy, I think that's an important one for us to look at, don't you think? Yeah. He says, jealousy has estranged wives from husbands and made of no effect the saying of our father, Adam. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Jealousy and strife have overthrown great cities and uprooted mighty nations. And may I add, ruined so many lives. And yet we have the witness of the martyrs to look to, to help us remain firm in our faith. Yeah, because it's an odd thing. When you think about uh, jealousy and envy, why would that be something that would get them killed? You would think maybe anger or a breaking of a law, like I said earlier. But the thing about jealousy and envy, there are two sins, right, that um, of all of those sins that we have, they, they don't make us happy. You know, we can indulge in all kinds of the all the other sins, gluttony, uh, all the different vices, but envy in particular, but also jealousy, they don't make us happy. So why do we do it? It's because you look upon another and you want what they want and you can't get it. Mm-hmm. You, uh, in some cases, I mean, envy is something that when you see uh, Cain. So what is it that they're seeing in the Christian that is making them so nuts that they're going to subject them to the most gruesome nuts is a good death. word for Nero. <laughs> yeah, buried nuts. As uh, Clement says here, though, let us fix our gaze on the blood of Christ and let us know that it is precious to his father because it was poured out for our salvation and it brought the grace of repentance to all the world. Go check out this full selection from Pope St. Clement I to the Corinthians Friday in the Office of Readings. We've been talking about it, reflecting on it with Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com, linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Chris, thank you so much. You're welcome, Anna. God bless you. You too. Thank you very much. All right, that'll do it for this Tuesday edition for the national audience here on the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.